0: Where did they get this? Well, they end this prayer, and they were saying this in their churches. They were saying it. They ended it in a doxology. And where did they get this doxology or a lot of these language that we get from that? Well, First Chronicles 29.11. I'm going to quote that for you. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and all that is on earth. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. So there you have the power and the glory and the kingdom, the kingdom and the power and the glory. You know who wrote that? King David. And it's just a nice fitting thing that the early church, they, they ended their prayer with this doxology. And remember, Christ is the root, the shoot out of David. He was the root of Jesse out of this. He was the. He was called in the New Testament the son of David. And so that is a fitting doxology, that this prophecy over millennia, this is the king, David, saying a prophecy of yours is the kingdom, Christ, yours is the kingdom. And we add that to the end. So it is not part of the earliest manuscripts. It's not in your scripture there, so we're not claiming. But it is right for us to say it as a doxology. It's part of scripture. It's right for us to say it when we say it in church together. So I just wanted to hit on that. If If you were wondering where in the world is the conclusion to the Lord's prayer that you just read. All right, into the first point, how not to pray. And when you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. You remember last time we spoke about giving, giving. And verse one of this chapter, verse one of chapter six, beware of practicing your righteousness before others in order that. You would be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So that's the intro verse that covers all of the things that are going to follow. For last week was giving, this week is praying, next time will be uh, fasting. And that is what is on all of these don 't be a hypocrite who 's doing this for others to be seen by others that 's the purpose of it. Remember we talked about what a hypocrite is the word the Greek word it talked um, harkened back to the the Greek the people who put on a mask and perform. That is the type of thing that we're doing here. So that when it was people who were wanting to give as a performance, I want others to see me, and here it's being applied to prayer. You are not to pray as a production. You are not to pray in order that you would be seen. Well, it sounds like this is saying we ought not to do public prayer, right? It says go into your closet. Don't pray. So every single time we are doing public praying, are we... Not doing what we're supposed to? Are we sinning against what Christ has said here? And, of course, the answer is no. I'll quote Calvin for you here. We are commanded in many passages to pray to God or to praise him in the public assembly amidst the crowd of men and before all the people. The purpose is not only for testifying our faith and gratitude, but also in exciting it in others. By our humble example, to do the like. Christ does not withdraw us from such an exercise, but only admonishes us to have God always before our eyes when we engage in prayer. Remember, it is about, are you pr- doing the prayer in order to be seen by man? In order to go out, I want others to see me in this. That's my goal. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls it the sin of self-worship. You're not... Think about it. If somebody who's trying to do that, who's trying to pray in order to sound really important in front of other people or sound eloquent or whatever the case may be, they're using words, faking like they're praying it to God, but they're really wanting to get reward from other people by seeming more important. What a heinous, blasphemous thing to do, to use God for your own ends. That is a wicked thing, and you ought never to do that if that's that's the motive in your heart. It is a wicked motive. We are not to pray to impress others. And in fact, we're not even to pray to impress God. We are not putting on a performance. He's the impressive one. We are going before Him to pray and beg of His mercies and grace. He's the one that we, by our prayers, we want Him to seem magnificent and wonderful. We want the prayer, the one who's lifting up the prayers, to just be forgotten. And everyone's attention to be pushed up towards God. That's the desires of our prayers. So we have from Scripture after Scripture that it's not a sin to be seen by by people when you're praying. Daniel, why did he get thrown in the lion's den? He refused to quit his practice of praying where people could see at the window. Jesus often prayed in front of others. All right, so it says that you are to... So so while that's true, that there have been many examples in the Bible where you do pray in front of others... Christ did the same. He prayed in front of others. But also there were times when he did what? Where he did go off on his own and pray to his father. So there there are both times in your life. You should pray in front of others when that's right. And you should withdraw and pray on your own. And notice what it says here. God sees in secret. Now imagine this, compare this to all the pagan idols uh, and how in the Old Testament we talk of, you know how silly it is for you to carve something in wood and then pray to it like it can hear you. You just carved it. There's not a chance it can hear you. And yet you serve a God who does hear in secret. He sees in your closet when you're praying, when you're lifting up your heart to Him. He sees that. That is omniscience. That is the power that He has to hear and know all things at all places. Even when Jonah was in the belly of the whale, could be heard by God. Not only that, we know that He answers prayers, which means He is omnipotent. He can do all things that He desires to do. Uh, it is... Charles Spurgeon, who once said, even Arminians pray like Calvinists. They don't believe like Calvinists, but they pray like it because they they often will lift up and say it. Arminians, for those of you that don't know, Calvinists believe in the sovereignty of God that he foreordains and predestines. And Arminians believe in the free will of God and say, well, man, it's it's up to his own. But those same people will be praying for their loved one's salvation. Well, if it's in their hands and it's not in God's hands, what's he going to do about it? No, he is the sovereign God, and he can reach down and remove the heart of stone and give a heart of flesh. This is your omnipotent, omniscient God who can do all things, and we pray to him like that. We know that he is the strong, sovereign one. It is also wonderful to contemplate If you lived in the Old Testament times, do you know where you could go to get forgiveness for your sins? You had to go to the temple. The tabernacle before they had a temple. But you had to go to this place and you would have the Day of Atonement and you would have to do all these things. What do you, where do you have to go, dear one, to get your forgiveness? You go to the prayer closet. You go wherever you are. You go to your heart right now. You lift it up to God. There is no priest that has to sacrifice a lamb or a goat. There is none of that. Christ has already sacrificed the once for all sacrifice on the cross. You have access to God even now. Yes, you can go into your prayer closet and pray and He will hear the omniscient one, the all powerful one. He cares for you. He hears you. That is an amazing thing to think about. I wonder, uh, do you have a prayer closet? It is. Command it here, go into your prayer closet. That is a nice practice. Maybe you don't have room enough to have a prayer closet, but perhaps you have a desk or a study where you have prayer aids, where you have little devotionals, where you can pray and read to God. It's good to have a place where you have a routine, where you can go and pray to your God. You may say, well, I don't need an exact prayer closet. I don't have to go into a closed room. And that may be so, but I hope you're not one who does not have any place who does not go ever to a special time of prayer with your God, who only offers up just casual prayers throughout the day. I hope you are one that does have an intentional place. You go to the prayer closet, you shut the door, and you do business with God. You pray to Him. You pour your soul out to Him. You seek His face for yourself, for your family, for your church. I hope you do have that place. Well, he says again there, you have your reward. If all you're seeking is to be seen by people, then that's where it stops. You have no other reward beyond that. God does not accept sacrifices that you give to other gods. If you're offering that sacrifice to your own glory, then that's all you're going to get. If you offer your sacrifices, your prayers to him, then he will answer, he will hear, he will respond. Albert Moeller says in this case, it pays to pray. It pays to pray. There is rewards. Uh, some of us are uncomfortable with rewards. And yet, you know, How how ungrateful would it be if at a Christmas, and some of you, maybe this has happened a time or two, and then your children got better about it, but you give a gift and your son or your daughter just, "Eh, I don't like it, I don't want it, I'm not going to do it. And you can imagine if you're like, well, God, I don't want a reward from you. I'm not accepting your reward. No. (laughs) No, you're going to be a gracious receiver of the gifts that God wants to give you, that God wants to bestow on you. You know Jim Elliott, He was the missionary martyr. What's his famous quote? He says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. There is a reward in heaven. There is something you gain out of your faith in God. And it is worth more than anything on this planet. If you don't know his story, by the way, you should pick up the books that tell about him. as a wonderful life of faithfulness. All right, then in the text we see it talk about empty phrases, empty phrases just being heaped on. So in one place it talks about um, don't be like the hypocrites. These were the Pharisees, the Jews that, that, that know the real God. But they are being hypocrites in their hearts. They're not praying for the right reasons. They're praying for their own glory. And now he's saying, so don't be like them. And now he's saying, don't be like the Gentiles. They don't have the right God. They're worshiping the wrong God, and they're also doing it in the wrong way. They're doing it with these phrases that they're just um, keeping up over and over again. There are some false religions that teach things like mantras. What are you supposed to do? You have this phrase that you just repeat over and over again. And the goal is to try and empty your brain, to empty it, to calm it, to get it down. We don't have such things in Christianity. Your goal is not to empty your brain. Your goal is to fill it with the Word of God, with His presence, with His goodness. When you are in a time of crisis, your goal is not to empty. It is to fill with God. So we, we don't have that process of just repeating phrases over and over again. Philippians 4, 8 says, Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these. Fill your mind with these. Don't empty your mind. Don't just use these empty phrases that don't mean anything. Years ago... I can't remember if I was in high school or college, but I was watching TV, and it was one of those religious channels. I don't remember if it was TBN or some channel. And it started, the the episode started, and it was a nun, and she was praying Hail Mary. And I figured, okay, this is the introduction, and then they're going to get to a Bible study or something, so I'll just see what they're going to say. So I wait five minutes, and she's just keeping on praying Hail Mary, full of grace, Hail Mary, Hail Mary, just over and over. Ten minutes? Okay, this can't be. This isn't the only thing they're going to do. Fifteen minutes? No way. I don't believe this. So now I'm not leaving the room. I'm staying here waiting. (laughs) I am going to listen till they till they say something. The entire thirty minute episode was nothing but repetition of that prayer, Hail Mary, full of grace, and so on. The whole time, the the nun in the front would say it, and then the people, the nuns that were in the cloister would say it, and then just go back and forth over and over again the whole time. Vain repetition does nothing. Vain repetition does nothing. Nothing. That is not what God is requiring. We could do the same thing with this prayer. You could take these words of Christ and if you just say it over and over and over again like it's some sort of sacred thing that's going to make you feel better or do something, that means nothing either. You can take even the words of Christ and repeat them over and over and over again just with an empty head going through the motions. That does not suffice I have seen that done um, before football games. Sometimes on some teams you'll have all the kids will get together and they'll kind of there's a chant way that you can say the prayer. And so they'll say the Lord's Prayer. And some of the kids, as I watch them, you are not a believer. You live a wicked life and yet you're saying these words. You don't even know what they mean. Those words aren't impressing God. If your heart is not in it, those words do nothing. If you're just doing it as part of some procedure, as part of some thing. Obviously, we could include in this charismatic gibberish that's just repeated over and over and over again, that, that does not please God. Uh, suffice it to say, um, in in modern Christianity, all, so all of these, we're about to get to how to pray. We've covered how not to pray. All of these things are pointing to an obvious fact: there is a wrong way to pray, and that cuts against a lot of modern Christianity, which prides itself on being, you know, um, casual and authentic. And and that's a good motive to say, I want to be my authentic self. If you if you're trying to get away from hypocrisy, then you want to be authentic, unless your attitude is. I'm just going to my buddy and I'm just going to tell my buddy. I'm just going to ask for whatever I want. I'm just going to be casual about this and forgetting that you are going to the high king of heaven. Remember from James 4 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. It is this, this quest to be casual or to, to be authentic. You want to be praying and pouring your heart out to God, but you can just as easily be Theatrically praying in skinny jeans as you can in a suit. It doesn't matter what you're dressed as. It matters how your heart is being poured out to God. Are you doing this to be seen? Are you doing this uh, in the presence of your high God? Are you doing it for him? So now let's move to the second point. Point one, how not to pray. Don't pray like the hypocrites. Don't pray like the Gentiles used to. Pray this way instead. Now... That should make everyone lean in. Your Savior has told you, this is how I want you to pray. So that should make say, ooh, I want to go to the school of Christ for how to pray. I want to hear what he has to say about this. First of all, it says, our Father, the obvious point there, to whom are you to address the prayer? To God the Father. Ordinarily, that is the one you pray to most often. There are occasional prayers in the Bible where it speaks of praying to Christ. Can you think of one? How about Maranatha? Come, Lord Jesus, even now, come, come quickly. And that's from 1 Corinthians sixteen twenty-two. Come, Lord Jesus. So there are times that you may pray to other persons of the Trinity. Normally, the Holy Spirit is the one that's Helping you to pray to God the Father or to Christ. He's the empowerer. So less often you are praying to the Holy Spirit, but you are praying to God the Father ordinarily. This is what Christ teaches here. I remember one time I was touring the Vatican. And we were on a tour, and there was a so-called priest who was walking us around and showing us all the treasures. And it was an impressive building that they had, an impressive artwork, just a, an amazing thing. At the end, he closed in prayer, and he was praying, and it was a good prayer. And then his final statement in the prayer was, and we ask all of this of you, Mary, please, Mary, let this happen. I thought, that, what a waste of time. We just prayed to somebody who could not hear what he was saying. Mary is a human being. Now, no doubt she was blessed. She she got to carry God himself, Christ. She was blessed. But she is not God. There is no saint who's walked this earth, who's died and gone, who hears all the prayers on the planet. Think what it entails when you say, I am going to pray to a saint You're entailing, remember we talked about God's omniscience? He hears all things? You're ascribing to Mary or to whatever saint you're praying to omniscience. They can hear all my prayers. How wonderful. That is a wicked thing to take an attribute of God and apply it to non-God. That is terrible. It is a horrible thing when, when we get into faith practices that that contort and distorts the scriptures. It is wrong. You pray to God, your father. He is the good God who hears all things. We give glory to him and him alone, to none other. Notice it says, our father. We are the church. We're united together. Are there times in your life when you can, you know, you feel more comfort because you've just sent something out or you've talked to somebody in the church and you know, they're praying for me. They are praying for me. Our Father, give us this. We need each other in prayer. We we depend on each other. We have to have this with each other. It is our Father. We're not individualistic people. When we come to the church we are together. We're the body of Christ, hands and feet. He is the head. Notice it says Father. What uh does this teach us? This is the preface to the Lord's Prayer. Uh so those of you who don't know, on the uh on the insert in your bulletins on the back of it I've included all of the Westminster shorter catechism which goes over the, the um The Lord's Prayer, so it has questions on each one of them. That's on the back at the bottom. So this is question 100, and it says, What doth the preface to the Lord's Prayer teach us? The preface to the Lord's Prayer, which is our Father, which art in heaven, teaches us that we can draw near to God with a holy confidence as children to a Father, able and ready to help us, that we should pray with and for others. So we see here, obviously, he is our Father. This is not true of all mankind. God has only adopted those whom he has elected, those who are children of God, those who have come into the faith. He has justified and adopted. There is those who are not in the family of faith cannot rightly call God their father. Notice here as well God is a father, he is not a mother. That is God's properties. He is a father. And notice that we are only able to do that because Christ broke the curtain. There was a holy of holies that we could not go into. We were blocked from that. But when Christ died on the cross, he broke the curtain. We can go to him at all times. We have access to the Father because of Christ. Heaven. Notice it says, our Father who art in heaven. This helps us get our right mind to consider where God is. You are going to the God who is in heaven, even at this moment, being worshipped by the holy angels. Holy, holy, holy. Are you, God Almighty? You are going into that place that will obviously cause you to feel your sinfulness, and we'll get to confession in a moment. But this, when you consider where is this God, your father, who is it? It helps you in your prayer mindset that you are offering these up to the high God of heaven who is also your father. What is the first petition? It is, hallowed be thy name. What does that mean, hallowed be thy name? Well, that means glorify your name, hallow your name, make it holy among the peoples, lift up your name, may it be seen as high and righteous and good. The very structure of this prayer leads us to the importance of this first one. What do I mean by that? Well, you know Justice Scalia He once talked about the Bill of Rights and our our government structure, and he said it's not the Bill of Rights that makes us a phenomenal country, a democracy, a light for the world. It's not our Bill of Rights. He pointed out that if you look at dictators throughout the world, they have pieces of paper constitutions that have bills of rights, and they just ignore them. They just do the opposite of them. It doesn't matter what the Bill of Rights says. So in his opinion, it's not the Bill of Rights that's remarkable, He says it was the structure of the government, the way that the founding fathers put checks and balances on each other. So if a tyrant ever arose, there were checks on that person. So it's the structure that's giving the power of it. And in some similar fashion, it's the structure of this prayer that's showing you how we are to interpret it. Did you notice as we read these that there are, the first three are all focused on God and His goodness and His ability to fill us up. How would be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done? Those are all about God, His kingdom, His will, His goodness, His fullness and greatness. And then what are the second three? Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts. Lead us not into temptation. It's similar to the tablets of the law, the commandments. First it starts with God, and then it goes to man. So often in our prayers, we invert this. The first thing out of our mouths is me, 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 me. And it ought to be turned around. God, you are good. You're my Father in heaven who's being worshipped by all the angels and all the elders. You're the good one. And I come to you a foul sinner. But I trust that you are a good God who loves me, your adopted son. And I bring you my needs. Please get glory in filling those needs. Please get glory in answering these prayers. Even the structure of this points us to the greatness of God. And you can see even in that structure, there's a second structure in it too. This first one, Hallowed Be Your Name, it infuses all the rest of them. So when you say, your kingdom come, you're saying, God, make your kingdom great I mean, make your name great, make your name hallowed by your kingdom spreading throughout this land and people seeing how good you are. Your will be done. God, make your name great in your will being done down here that people would see the righteousness and goodness of you. God, give me my daily bread, satisfy the needs that I have and make your name great by doing so, by supplying my needs. So this first one about hallowing your name, it fills all of these other commands as well. The structure is teaching you something. One pastor calls it, you, you, says it this way, you've got to get rid of the I problem. You know, we all have eye problems as we get older. Our eyes don't work as well, but in this case, it's the I, me, the me problem. We're so focused on ourselves. We ought to be oriented towards God. Now, it is sad to me that I, Will not be able to finish. I mean, we're we're only on how our Father who art in heaven. My goodness! And yet we've reached the conclusion. So we will have to pick this up at the next time that we meet. Um, I do want to point one thing out. We're talking about this this Lord's Prayer. It's a model. You don't just pray these words over and over again. It's not wrong to pray the words like we do. It's not wrong, but it's the model of how we pray. All of our even. Uh, Just off-the-cuff prayers that we're going to offer to God. And one acrostic to try and do this, and I'll flesh this out the next time we meet, but you can see it on the top of that. Insert in your bulletin. It's ACTS. A-C-T-S. Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And within that supplication, it includes what would the classical theologians would call... um, Intercession and supplication. It's including both of those. So that's just an acrostic. And then the main part underneath where you see where it says Acts is a, um, a calendar for a week. And this is one thing I learned when I was at DTS. I had to take some classes at Dallas Theological Seminary um, because RTS, Reformed Theological Seminary, would not accept any government money. And I had, from working for Teach for America, I had earned a stipend that I could pay for educational things. And RTS wouldn't accept it because they said, we don't want to be beholden to the government. We want to be able to teach whatever we want to teach. So I had to find an institution that could do that. But in any case, in one of the chapels, the, the person who was speaking talked about this and they said, you're wanting to pray for so many things and then you just feel overwhelmed and you end up praying less than you would have otherwise. So what he said, and it's changed the way I've prayed ever since, is uh, at the top you see it says every day. And in there you would write the names of people, your family, or the people that are deeply in need of prayer every single day. And you pray for those every day. But then you have other people that you want to be praying for consistently. And so on Monday, you might put the names of your friend group, people that you consider friends that you want to be praying for every Monday. I want to pray for these people that I can pick them up. Or you might be praying for the government. You might be praying for our soldiers. You might be praying for on different days you you include this. And it gives you a structure. And you find that you end up, you're like, well, I don't, I don't want to only pray for them once a week. Well, nothing's stopping you from praying more. But what ends up happening is you end up... Praying for them more than you would have otherwise when, they're not on, when they, it's not on your mind. So I encourage you to write out those things. Or if you're in my case, I had printed out pictures because I'm a visual learner. So I have the pictures you can see on mine, all that. You can even do this. I encourage you to do this with our um, our church directory. And you list out and have every member of the congregation and you pray through every week. You pray for each person by name. It's a wonderful practice. And if you're organized, you can do it. But if, if you're just like, well, I'm going to pray for every single person every single day, you're going to get overwhelmed and you're not going to end up doing it. The more you start to do it, the more you can take on. But I encourage you for that to do that. And so that's why you have that bulletin insert. Um, we will continue this at the next time. But I do want to point out one thing. Uh, it is God's glory that we seek in all of these prayers. It is God's glory. We should be full of our desire to praise God, to pray to God, to love God and to seek him.